Dr. Seuss, Theo Geisel is his real name. Uh, not a godly man, but uh, he did stumble upon truth every now and then. And this is, oh, the places you will go. It says you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose. And you know what you know, and you are the guy who will decide where to go. And that is true. We all have choices of what paths we're going to take in life. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I'll give you some pertinent parts here. Let's see. Uh, one point, it says this. It says, you will come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're darked. A place you can sprain both your elbow and chin. Do you dare stay out? Do you dare to go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go in, should you turn left or right? Or right in three quarters, or maybe not quite? Or go around back and sneak in from behind? Simple it's not, I'm afraid you will find, for a mind maker-upper to make up his mind. And this is, this is a, true in life. Many of you have felt that exact experience in life. So many paths that we could take in life. And uh, many paths to choose from. Some good, some better. There's paths of self-denial, paths of self-indulgence. There's paths of plenty and prosperity. There are paths that are praiseworthy and some that are pitiable. Some people choose severe paths, dull paths. Sometimes we find ourselves in Safe paths are risky. You can take well-trodden roads, or you can venture out and find overgrown, isolated trails. Many times in life we find ourselves in, in, uh, in dead ends, in boot backs. We know from the words of Jesus Christ that most paths lead to destruction, or if we know this. The thing is, in life... Usually, the only path that you know of is the one that you're on. It's very difficult to identify an alternate path once you're on it. It's difficult not only to know the path, but even more difficult to switch to a different path once you have properly begun. Today, from God's Word, God makes known to each one of you a different path. And I'm convinced that you will take this path if you can adequately receive it. It's a path that I hope that we each and all would take. Perhaps as a church, as a congregation, we'll join hand in hand and, and take this path. It's a path that wisdom prescribes for us. It's a path of blessing. Why wouldn't we take a path of blessing? So many times we choose to take paths of, of heartache and hardship and hurt. When God says, look, here's a path. And there's blessing for you. Just to, it's, The blessings are lining the path. They're lining the road, just waiting for you to pick them up. If only you would walk this path that wisdom prescribes. Proverbs chapter 3 describes that path. I would invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, where we see that path described at least in part. In Proverbs chapter 3, we see um, at least six blessings are offered to those who walk this path. God has pre-planned these blessings to be along the way, and if you choose not to walk the path, it's not that He's punishing you, it's just simply that you are choosing not to 
take hold of the blessings that he offers. And as we look through Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, I think you could have also uh, maybe what you might call lampposts that light the way, markers that will indicate to you whether or not you are on the path. Before we dive into Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, let's, let's just take a look. Before we look at the individual blessings that are offered, let's just get an overview of the blessings. Starting in verse 13. It says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. So this is better than, better than anything you can earn. Verse 15 says, She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. Would you describe your life right now as a life of pleasantness and peace? If not, there's a prescription here that wisdom gives where you can find peace and pleasantness. Verse 18 says, She is a tree of life to those who lay hold her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. Of course, blessed means that God is favoring you, that God is, is giving you fortune, that God is smiling upon you. And if you want that, God offers blessing to those who walk this path. He gives you his favor, he showers you with fortune, and not the fortune that the world measures fortune by. This is better than riches. This is better than jewels. This is better than anything you can desire. Are you ready to receive that kind of blessing? Would you like to know how to have that kind of blessing in your life? And we need to look in verses 1 through 12. And, you know, this, this the Proverbs are a prescription for how, as individuals, you can walk this path that's prescribed by wisdom and find blessing. But not only for individuals, we, us as a church, what are we? But uh, a bunch of individuals intertwined in one another's lives, sealed by the Holy Spirit, bound together by grace. And I think that as we each walk this path and together walk this path, that the blessings that are offered here would be blessings that would be bestowed upon our church. If the blessings are bestowed upon our church, that that witness, that grace, all that God pours into us begins to leak out into the community and make a difference in this little part of the world that we have been planted in. So let's look at this and let's commit together to this path and anticipate together these blessings. And let's look at the first blessing in verse 2. It says, For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you length to your days, years to your life, peace to your existence if you commit to this path. And so we see the first blessing, full days, many years, and a peaceful life. You know, many people have full days, but they aren't, God hasn't granted them to have many years. Some people have very long days and very many years, but there's no peace in their life. Those who walk this path find long days, many years, and lots of peace. You know, I think about this church building. 
Ridgecrest Baptist Church is, is hosting us and opening their home to us. You know, Ridgecrest Baptist Church was founded in 1959. They've been here for 61 years. I think they stand as an example to some degree of a church who has walked this path because they're still here making a difference in the community and definitely in our lives. Where will our church be in 61 years? 61 years from now is two, something like 2080. Can you imagine? Perhaps we'll have our own building by then. Some startup church will be asking to use our facility early on a Sunday morning. And prayerfully, we would follow that and we would follow the examples that were given to us. And we would open our home to them as well. I pray that our church lasts a long time. Many churches fail. Many churches cease uh, <laughs> to exist. I pray that we have long years in our church life. And what is this, this first lamppost that sheds light on this blessing? In verse 1 it says, My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. The first lamppost on this path is to remember the Lord's teachings. Remember the Lord's teachings. You know, the Lord hasn't changed His mind. He, he set down His instruction. He communicated His will in the book of Exodus. And then He spent the next 4,000 years just reminding His people of what He said all that time ago. He just keeps reminding them. Just like we do with our children, the Lord does with us as well. He just keeps reminding us. And our duty, if we want to stay on this path, is to remember the Lord's teaching. What, what causes you to forget the Lord's teaching. So many times we just forget. Maybe in times of prosperity we forget. Or in times of difficulty we forget. We risk both ends. Sometimes in, in uh, just in, in entertainment we're distracted and we forget. Sometimes in times of personal success we forget. Our duty is to remember the Lord's teachings. And when you think about it, what kind of things do you easily remember in your life? What are the things that would be impossible for you to forget? Uh, for instance, you know, I have uh, a daughter named Sophie, and I might forget occasionally what the precise date, precise date of her birthday is, but I never ever forget who my daughter is. Why? Because we have a daily relationship with I communicate with her. I invest in her. I celebrate her. I interact with her. We dance in the living room. We laugh together. We enjoy each other. And if we're going to be a people who do not forget the Lord's teachings, we need to have that same kind of relationship, a daily relationship, celebrating the commands of the Lord, investing our lives in the commands of the Lord, relating to them, communicating them, this is what's required if we're going to remember the Lord's teachings. And look at the end of verse 1. It says, but let your heart keep my commandments. This is something that cannot be superficially followed. It must be executed on a heart level. You can't fake God. You might be able to fake everyone else, but you cannot fake God. And the blessings are only there for those who are authentically Remembering the Lord's teachings. Let's see what other blessing He has in this path for us. Perhaps we jump down to verse 4. It says, So you will find favor and good success 
in the sight of God and man. Favor and success with both God and man. That would be handy as a church congregation, wouldn't it? That the community looks upon us and sees that we have success and they give us their favor. But one of these things would be um, helpful, but the other one is critically indispensable in our vertical relationship with God. It's nice that the community gives us their favor and recognizes that we have success, but it would be fatal if we did not seek God's approval. It would be fatal if God did not grant this success. And if we follow this path, not only will we have the blessing of a long life, but we, we see that God will give us His favor, that God will give us success, and that the community around us will see it and recognize that God's hand is in it. This reminds me of the description of Jesus, young Jesus, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, where it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So how do we find that the second land post we see in verse 3? Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your hearts. So here we have the second land post on the, on the uh, path is to cling to the Lord's faithful love. Cling. The Lord's faithful love. Uh, wear it like a necklace. Like a woman would wear a gift from her husband around her neck. Write it like a love letter upon your heart. Have this kind of commitment to God's loving faithfulness. You know, th those two terms, God's loving and His faithfulness, those are the two terms that God most often uses in the Old Testament to communicate His covenant relationship with His people. And what He's saying here is, do not let that uh, uh, forsake you. And the only way that God's love and His faithfulness will forsake you is if you reject it. But if we hold tight to it, if we cling to it, if we pull it into our innermost being and we cherish His love and His faithfulness, that will direct us on this path. And we will find the blessing of favor and success with both God and man. How much of His unfailing love makes it through you in a day? How much of His unfailing love makes it through you in a day? Think about the way that God loved His people. They constantly rejected Him. They always forgot about how good He was to them. They were always dissatisfied and wanting something else and something more. And yet He was un failing in His love. Do you have that kind of love? You know there's people in your life that desperately need to experience that kind of love. Because it's not a human love. They don't even think that kind of love exists. And perhaps the only way they're going to come in contact with that love is through you. Are you allowing God's faithful love to bleed through you? Let's look at this Third lamppost. How we know we're on this path. I mean, the world is a foggy place. Sometimes we lose the path. But God has put lights along the way so we know which path to take. And, and so we know that if we're going to follow this path, we need to remember the Lord's teachings. We need to cling to the Lord's faithful love collectively. We need to commit to this. And thirdly, we need to trust 
the Lord's discernment. We need to trust the Lord's discernment. Look at verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. So here we have kind of a, a three-part. First, we need to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not a portion of your heart. Not the majority of your heart. Not some measure of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That means you are not hedging your bets in any way. That means you're not going to use His uh, his discernment most of the time. But maybe in the spiritual matters, you'll use His discernment. But for the rest, you're going to use your own discernment. No. You're going to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And not lean on your own understanding. You're not going to hedge your bets. You're not going to give yourself veto authority over God's will. A lot of us are very good at being submissive to our authorities until they say something we don't like and they're not submissive anymore. We don't have that right with God. God does not give us veto power. We need to trust in His ways. We need to lean on His understanding. We need to acknowledge Him. In all things. It says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. That means we don't gauge anything as too trivial to lean on God's understanding and God's discernment in the matter. Sometimes we think, well, only the big decisions we need to really seek God out in this. Look what, look what it describes God's discernment in verse 19 of the same chapter. It says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your necks. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. Are you feeling lost in life? Are you feeling a little insecure? Sometimes life's options feel like this Dr. Seussian jungle, jungle of tangled knot of paths, each indiscernible from the next, and their individual outcomes hopelessly snarled. But when we trust in the Lord's discernment, we lean on His understanding, not our own, we acknowledge Him in all that we do, the blessing that comes, you see it right there at the end of verse 6? He will make straight your paths. He straightens out your path. He reduces all that confusion, the labyrinth of choices, to just one simple choice. But the only way we find that is if we walk this path, remembering His teachings, clinging to His faithful love, and trusting His discernment. We come to the fourth lamppost. Verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The fourth lamppost is to fear the Lord's holiness. Fearing the Lord is a, is a declining spiritual discipline in the church today. There's a lot of studying going on. There's a lot of fellowship going on. But then behind closed doors, there's a lot of sin going on. And in closed hearts, there's a lot of sin going on as well. What we need to get back to is the fear of the Lord. That was one thing that God continued to do with the Old Testament. He would make severe examples of people because He wanted His children to fear Him. I've used this definition before, but I find it helpful. Fear of the Lord 
I can think of it in four P's. Fearing the Lord is living in the perpetual perspective of the power and presence of God. When you sin, one of these four ingredients is missing. What's missing when you choose your sin? Are you failing to recognize the power of God? Are you denying the fact that God is present, ever present in your life, right there by your side? He sees everything you do. What sins would you not do if, let's say, uh, I don't know, if Larry Willis, what I used to him as an example last week. How about Stephanie Winkler? If Stephanie Winkler was by your side, every moment of your day, are there some sins that you would choose not to do? Out of shame, just out of embarrassment. I don't want to do this in front of her. She's a sweet lady. I would, I would not do that in front of her. The Lord is with you at all times. And you ought to have more fear of the Lord than fear of Stephanie Winkler. We need to have this fear of the Lord. Perhaps we don't need strategy anymore, knowledge or method or boundaries set up or a series of accountability partners. What we need is the good old-fashioned fear of the Lord. But you don't fear that which you don't know. We need to get back to that relationship. Just basking in awe and the glory, the power, the presence of God. We will have fear of the Lord. And the blessing that comes from it, look what it says. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil, verse 8, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. These are vivid pictures they're giving us, aren't they? Straight paths, healed flesh, refreshed bones. Unfortunately, in this town, we sometimes see it. We see people who have been many years addicted to meth. And you can see it by the way that they walk. And when you get close, you can see it on their face. When I first came to town here seven years ago, a young man came into my office. And, and a pastor was with him. And the boy had been, the young man had been homeless. He was trying to get his life on track. He felt God's calling in his life. And then not, not two weeks ago, he came back into my office again. I've seen him in and out of jail. But now his appearance was different. Why? Unfortunately, he become addicted to methamphetamines. And you can see it in their face. So listen, brothers and sisters, sin is sin. Whether it's an addiction to meth, or an addiction to pride, or an addiction to porn, or an addiction to control, or whatever it might be. Sin is sin, and it wears on you, and it picks you apart piece by piece. And little by little, we just get used to it. But at some point, you come to this place and you feel like, I need healing for my flesh. I need refreshment in my bones. My flesh is wounded. My bones are dried out. And you don't know where to get it. And so many times, you'll run back to sin again. Because it promises, I'll, I'll heal your wounds. I'll refresh your bones. But in this passage, wisdom tells us it only comes... When we fear the Lord, when we get back into that position of fearing the Lord, we find healing in our flesh, refreshment in our spiritual bones. Let's continue to this fifth lamppost that we see in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be Bursting with wine. So here we see part of walking this path personally and committed as a group of individuals in one church, we finance the Lord's ministry. 
we finance the Lord's ministry. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. This is what is called tithing in the Old Testament. And what was the tithing used for in the Old Testament? It had two primary purposes. One, it provided for the Levites. The Levites was the tribe that was in charge of leading worship, doing the sacrifices. The priestly, they would command the temple. And the Levite tribe was not permitted to have an inheritance. They did not inherit any land. Instead, the tithe from all the tribes came and it supported them. So that was one of the purposes. And again, just look at the Levites were integral in the work of the Lord. But then also the tithe, some portion of it was kept locally for local charity, to feed those that were hungry, to care for the widow. Those that needed help in the local community, the tithes were there. Both of these things are the, the ministry of the Lord. The Lord chooses to use our means to further His ministry. And though you can make an argument whether tithe is still around today or not, the principle is still here. That God uses your finances to fund His ministry in the same way that He uses your personality and your presence to extend His love and presence to others. He also uses your funds to, to finance the work that the Lord is doing. And notice how it describes it. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. When we give to the Lord, it's a way that we honor Him. It's a way that we express the honor that we hold for Him. That we say to Him, I'm not waiting to the end of the month to give it to you. I'm giving it to you first. And those that do that learn really quickly this fifth blessing that comes from walking on such a path. It says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The blessing here is full barns, bursting vats. Again, the imagery, you will not be lacking. You will not be in need. Proverbs 11.24 is a verse that we, uh, for many years, put on the back of the bulletin, right next to our, um, uh, our stewardship update. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. This is a divine path that we're on. And this happens. This is true. My dad, faith, you know, I, I never knew how poor we were growing up. But I know this, that my dad was faithful in giving to the church first. He would give to the Lord's work first. One time they had a, an accountant come in to kind of help them with their finances. And he was looking, and my dad's very good at budgeting. And the accountant was looking at everything. And he says, okay, we're missing the part of your budget. I mean, how much are you spending on hospital bills and doctor bills and medication? And my dad said, oh, that's this part over here. He's like, what, you get 10% charity? You don't make enough money to give 10%. But when God sees his children supporting his ministry, he supports his children. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 9. This is a verse that we have hanging on the front, uh, the front hall of our house. It says, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Give me neither riches nor poverty, but feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Just give me what I need today. That's all I ask. And this is the promise that's given uh, to those who walk this path. Now, one more lamppost and one more blessing. Let's look at the blessing first. Verse 12. 
The Lord reproves him who he loves as a faithful father, the son in whom he delights. Notice the, the word Lord there is in all caps. That's, that's the proper name for God. They, it was so sacred they wouldn't even write it down. But Yahweh is what it should say. It should say Yahweh. I love seeing Yahweh's name in the text. You know, we never see that in the New Testament. It's always Lord or God. But here it's so personal. It's God saying, I'm giving you my name personally. And here's, here's, the, here's the blessing. Yahweh's love and a father's delight. Delight. That is not a word that is used very often today. My mom makes a dessert called Stripe of Delight, and it is delightful. But when we think about God and his position towards us, we rarely use the word delight. We know God loves us, but do you know that God delights in you. Do you want to have the kind of relationship where you are convinced that Yahweh loves you and he has a father's delight. <clears throat> delight in, in you. There is a special love that a parent has for their child. It's unmatched. It's a unique love. Not, a child doesn't even have it for the parent. A spouse doesn't have it for the child. It's a reserve, it's a reserve love that is only between a parent directed to their child, because this child is a product of two souls that came together. This is the kind of love that God has for you if you walk this path. But if you're going to do it, that love and that delight is best experienced in an unimpeded relationship. Sin impedes our relationship with God. An unimpeded relationship comes only by discipline and reproof. Look at verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. Therefore, this last land post. And we need to commit to this corporately as a congregation. Because every one of us needs correction at some time. No one is an exception. Not me, not anyone here. And when the, that reproof comes, when that correction comes, we need to value it. If we don't value the Lord's correction, we will not be on this path of blessing. We will be venturing out into our own understanding. God says perhaps most critical for last. We need to value the Lord's correction. Don't despise it. Don't avoid it. Don't minimize it. When it comes, get low and get low fast. And receive it fully. Don't excuse yourself. Don't hedge. Just receive it. There's no amount of humility that is too much. And then on the other side, you will find the Lord's love, and you will find His delight. And as a church, we are going to be the light in a dark community. We have to be a people that are committed to these six lampposts along this path. We have to be a people that remember the Lord's teaching unfailingly, that cling to the Lord's faithful love desperately, that just Trust the Lord's discernment without exception. We have to be a people that learn and really truly fear the Lord more than we fear each other. We fear His opinion. We earn His respect and His, um, uh, His admiration more than anybody else. We don't care what others think of us. We care what God thinks of us. We're committed to financing what the Lord is doing. And above all, we value the Lord's correction. So there it is. There's the path if you'll take it. I want to ask our ministry team, or our worship ministry, to come up. We conclude this sermon.
This is the path for you to take. The blessings litter the road. They're just there for you to pick up if you'll have them. This is the path that Jesus took. This is the path that Jesus blazed this trail. He was the one that invented this trail. He's the one that carved it out for you and I to follow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, it says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And this proverb, chapter 3, defines wisdom path. It's not a path that you would discover on your own. It's not a path that you would choose to go to on your own. You must be led to it and led down it. And to stay on it, you have to have you have to increasingly lose more and more of yourself along the way. And if you are willing to do that, together we can. Less of you, more of Jesus. And more of Jesus means more wisdom, more honor, more blessing, more peace, more vitality, more uh, usefulness. More influence, more glory for Him. If you haven't done it yet, now's the time to lay it down. Less of you, more of Him. Let's walk this path together as a congregation. Let's, let's be bold enough to hold each other accountable. When you see a brother or sister in Christ that is not walking this path in love, we come alongside, we invite them back to the, to the path. And in humility, when we're the ones being corrected, we follow and we lovingly go back. Let's stand. Let's sing.